Shabbat Shalom, Shabbat Shalom. Welcome, welcome everyone. Welcome to our Shabbat service. My name is Pastor Leo. I am the lead pastor at IOS Church. And we are located in 5921 Northwest 176th Street, Unit 6, in the city of Hialeah, Florida, 33015. Um, today we have an amazing chapter that we're going to be going over, Exodus chapter 37. And it's, it's amazing um, because when I sat down to begin to study this chapter, I was like, well, these last chapters of Exodus are a bit repetitive. Maybe I can combine a couple of them and, you know, we'll just get through Exodus and continue on to the next book um, but the spirit instantly said uh, no you're gonna go through each chapter and you're gonna teach on each chapter uh, and you're gonna teach what I'm telling you to teach not what you want to teach right uh, when we submit ourselves to God God then takes control of our lives and places within us his words not our words it doesn't matter what we sit down to study it doesn't matter what we write at the end of the day we have to understand that we have need to be submitted to God and allow God to use us and work through us to deliver the message that he wants. Amen. And so we're going to be going to an amazing chapter. Exodus 37 is um, full of information. There are actually four components that we're going to be going into this morning. Uh, they're going to be described on Exodus 37, uh, which are inside the tabernacle. Um, but before we get into that, um, I want to stop for a second. I want to ask you to please share this teaching share this teaching because a lot of people need to hear this um how these components inside the the tabernacle all pointed back to Joshua. they were not just components that were going to be built inside the tabernacle but they all pointed back to Joshua. and we're going to see that as we go through scripture this morning so please take the time for a second share this teaching um so many can come and learn the truth the truth about scripture the truth and the word of God and how everything revolves around him. Amen. Um, also, before we get started this morning, I want to take a moment uh, to pray for a couple of things and actually encourage you as well um, for something that I came across yesterday, uh, actually at, at my job as I was gathering some things. Um, so first, I want to pray uh, for all those that are dealing with the virus, of course, um, all those that may be right now um, going through COVID. I wanna pray for them first. Um, so if you can just take a moment right there, right where you're at, if you could close your eyes and join me in prayer. Um, Father, we just come before you this morning, Father. First, we wanna thank you. Thank you for allowing us to wake up this morning. Thank you for giving us breath in our lungs and strength in our bones, Father. Father, this morning we wanna to present to you, Father, everyone that is dealing with COVID at this moment, Father God, all those that may have been infected with this, this virus, Father God, we pray, Father God, for full restoration, Father, for a speedy restoration, Father God. We pray for strength in their bodies, Father God. We pray, Father, that you will give them peace in the midst of this and, and give them understanding, Father God, that this too shall pass, Lord. That just as it came, it will go, Father God, out of their bodies because sickness is not of you, Lord. So, Father, we pray for them. We pray for their families, Father. They will also, Father, be still and wait upon you, Lord, just like Psalms 46.10 says, Lord. Father, we pray for peace for them as well, Father. We pray, Father God, that every word that comes out of their mouth, Father, is a word of life and out of death, Father God, that they will not, Father God, cancel any any prayers, Father God, that they have prayed, Father God, for, for restoration and for healing, Father God. Father, we thank you because we know that your ears incline to our words, Father God, and, and we pray, Father God, that as you are listening to us this morning, Father God, that you will send forth just one word, Father God, because we understand that 
Just one word from you, Father, can turn all situations and can turn all things around, Lord. We pray this, Father God, in Yeshua's name. Amen, amen, and amen. I also want to take the moment for a second to pray for a, a co-worker of mine. His name is Randall. Um, this past week, his house caught on fire. Uh, thank God no one was hurt. Um, but, um, you know, he is obviously had to go to a... a um, a, a hotel nearby um, him his wife and five children and it's 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 been tough you know on, on the family of course and so I want to pray for him as well and his family uh, father we also bring forth this morning Randall and his family father God and his children Lord we pray father God that you will begin to work all things Lord in his favor father God that Lord, that the insurance companies will come through quickly, Father God, and that you will be there, Father God, touching the heart of whoever you need to touch the heart of, Father God. So they will give him the, the greatest amount of money that he needs to, to be able to fix his home, Father God, and be able to move back into his home uh, quickly, Father God, with his wife and his children, Father God. We pray, Lord, that again, that you will give him all the finances that are needed, Father God, that nothing will come out of his pocket, Lord, but the insurance will be able to pay for everything, Father God and that he'll be able to get back with his life and be able to move forward, Lord. Father, we thank you because no one was hurt in this accident, Father God. You, you preserve his life, his wife, and all his children, Lord. And Father, for that, we thank you. Thank you because you are faithful, Father God, and you are true to your word, Lord. So Father, we thank you in Yeshua's name. Amen, amen, amen. Um, <clears throat> like I said, I wanted to share something else with you guys before we get into this chapter. Um, in my job, I'm, I'm part of the safety lead team there. And yesterday I was preparing a meeting that we're gonna be doing next week. And it, uh, I was going over a lot of statistics um, of 2021. And it was stating that in 2021, um, as probably many of you know, uh, crime was obviously on the rise. Um, murders, homicides, suicides, all these were on a rise in 2021. Um, a lot of people were just in chaos um, because of the simple fact that they were locked up in their homes and whenever and when they were set free they were able to come out of their homes um, they just released all what was boiling inside of them out on everyone out in the street and I be I came across a lot like I said a lot of statistics which I look at them as tragedies because they, they were tragedies uh, there was a lot of people that their lives were cut short because of people that were not careful, that were, excuse me, that were just didn't care for human life, in other words. And so, you know, it's it's amazing that we gather in Shabbat, you know, to, to share the word of God, of course. But also in Shabbat, we should gather with our families, right? Um, because that's what it's, it's, it's also all about. You know, first, of course, um, being in the presence of God and, and listening to what God has to say, but also spending time with our loved ones. Um, you know, God has blessed us for those that God has blessed us with families, with children. Um, I want to encourage you this morning to truly, after this service, to truly tell those people how much you love them because life is short and we never know when our last day will be here. And so we need to treasure every single day, every day that God gives us, we should not take it for granted. Every day that God blesses us with, with health and with strength, we should not take it for granted. Um, or we should not take it lightly. Um, we should be thankful, of course, first and foremost, but also 
those that surround us, uh, we should be thankful for them as well and for their life. Because like I said, in 2021 was a very tough year. Um, a lot of things happened. And um, like I said, I came a lot of statistics that I think impacted the life of a lot of people. And so this morning, again, I wanna encourage you guys to truly, truly um, love those that God has blessed you with. Love the ones that God has surrounded you with. Um, because if he surrounded you with those people, it's for a reason. Amen. So again, this morning, we're going to go into chapter 37. Um, again, it's an amazing chapter in the book of Exodus. Um, but before we get into that as well, I want to mention our podcast. Um, as you guys know, we have somebody working very hard on our pod on our podcast. And um, God has given us the ability on, on, to be on 11 different podcasts. So it doesn't matter what platform you use. If you're watching this you know, from another part of the world, uh, maybe live or maybe down the line. Um, we are on 11 different podcasts and, and I'm sure one of these obviously might be in your part of the world or you might be using already. And so those podcasts are Apple, Google, Spotify, Anchor, Radio Public, Breaker, CastBox, Overcast, PocketCast, Stitcher and Reason. Again, there are 11 different podcasts, different platforms that God has given us the ability to be in uh, just in case you cannot sit maybe to watch this teaching live or maybe it'll be able to watch it even later and you say, you know what, I just want to plug some headphones in my ears and I just want to listen to it. That's, that, that's fine. That's great. Um, again, Apple, Google, Spotify, Anchor, Radio Public, Breaker, CastBox, Overcast, PocketCast. Stitcher and Reason. These are 11 different platforms you can find us and you can find us under In One Spirit Miami. In One Spirit Miami. And therefore, you can go ahead and listen to this teaching. Again, I pray it blesses you. It has blessed me amazingly as I sat down to study this. Um, also, if, if you want to sow a seed into this ministry, you say, you know what, I believe in what you guys are doing. I believe in what, uh, in what you're teaching over there, Pastor, you and your wife. And you would like to sow a seed to allow this ministry to continue to move forward and to continue to, to come on live and, and bless people with, with the truth and the word of God. You can go into inonespiritchurch.com and there you, you can give your donation, whether it's your tithe or your offering, and you will get a return email with your do donation. Um, so again, we want to thank you ahead of time for believing in this ministry and partnering with us to take the truth out there to those that maybe don't know or maybe those that may be confused or maybe those that may be blinded just like we were blinded at one point in time. Amen. So thank you for that. Um, I also, if you didn't see my wife's teaching last week on the parable of the lost coin, I do encourage you to go back. It was such a fun teaching. It was such an amazing teaching. And it's another reason why we gather in Shabbat. Um, God gave us the ability to find that coin. And uh, as, as I'm just going to give you a little sneak peek, but that lost coin is Shabbat. Um, and, and it's amazing that, that, you know, that God removed that blindfold over our, over our eyes and we were able to find that coin. And now again, we gather on Shabbat as a family to teach the truth and the word of God. Amen. Now, if you guys remember back in chapter 36, um, we spoke about what chapter 36 was um the offering you know the free will offering that was spoken uh in chapter 35 and in 36 we saw that the people just kept bringing so much that moses had to tell them stop we have more than enough 
um, what we need to build this tabernacle. And in a sense, what was actually happening was God was bringing his people back together, right? Remember, they were just coming out of this golden calf um, idol that they had just built. Um, God had poured out his mercy. Um, you know, obviously some people suffer the consequences of death uh, because there, there needs to be consequences whenever we are out of the will of God, whenever we do something against the will of God, because that is what brings us back to the will of God and it realigns our lives. Amen. And so <clears throat> we saw in chapter 36 how God began to bring his people back together. And it was bringing it back together through the reiteration of what God was describing as the wilderness tabernacle um, and what was to be built, um, how it was going to be built. He began to give measurements and all these things. We saw how different numbers and different names um, meant so many things in scripture that sometimes we tend to overlook, but they're so crucial in scripture. And that's why when we study the word of God, we need to take it word by word. Uh, verse by verse, never skipping anything because we miss, we miss so many golden nuggets that are in the Word of God that we definitely need to, to study. Amen. And so again, we saw in chapter 36 how God began to bring His people back together. He began to, to reunite that mixed multitude. And we saw how the similarities between the wilderness tabernacle and the buildings that we, we gather nowadays, right? We saw the I don't want to say the measurements, but the enclosure of it and what would take place inside the tabernacle and what takes place inside, <clears throat> you know, many of the buildings that we gather nowadays. Right. And it's all about worshiping one God. And that is the true God of Israel. Amen. So we saw again, we saw that a couple of weeks back on chapter 36. And today in chapter 37, we're going to see how the four components that we're going to be going over that are in the tabernacle all point to Joshua. I mean, it's so amazing. The, these components, they were not just components that were to be built in the tabernacle, but they were components that were point back to our Messiah. And we are going to read them in the book of Exodus. But most of, of the scriptures that I'm going to refer to or, or I'm going to compare it to are actually found in, in the New Testament and in the book of John and in the book of Matthew. So we see again how the Old Testament and the New Testament come together. It's just one book. Um, again, the foundation being found in the Old Testament and just a reiteration in the New Testament of what was spoken. Amen. So again, today we're going to study four components. And so without further ado, go with me to the book of Exodus chapter 37. And we're going to read from verse 1 to verse 9 and that's going to be the first component and that first component that we're going to be going over is the ark of the covenant right um here we're going to see the description of the ark how it was made and what it was made from very important um so again go with me to the book of exodus chapter 37 and we're going to read from verse 1 to verse 9 amen it says, Bethel also made the ark. Now, I'm going to stop there for a second. Bethel, if you guys don't remember, or maybe you may be watching this for the first time, Bethel was the man chosen by God multiple chapters ago, and God poured his spirit into him to give him the ability to build these components in the tabernacle. But not only give him the ability to build these components, also give him the ability to teach others how to build these components. And the reason why I mentioned that is because 
this is was the gift that God had given Betzael. And a lot of us, God gives us gifts, and they're not just for us, right? They're not just for our benefit. Uh, it might be for the for the, for the moment, but also it is for for us to share with others or help others out in the gift that God has given us to move His kingdom forward and to teach the good news, right? And so, again, Bethel was the man chosen by God that God poured His Spirit into him, give him the ability, give him the gift to build these tabernacles, but also teach others because. As we know, the measurements on some of these components were so large, were so grand that he wouldn't be able to build these things by himself. He needed the help of others. And so uh, we saw again back in chapter 36 how people would say, you know what, I'm not only going to be here uh, supporting this financially, but I'm placing my hand on the plow, as I mentioned, and I'm not taking it off. I'm going to be here uh, because I've seen the mercy of God. I've seen the grace of God in my life. So I'm placing my hand on the plow and um and I'm not removing it. I'm not removing it. Uh, you can count on me for, for whatever you need, uh, Bethel, uh, not only financially, but physically to be able to build God's house, uh, God's wilderness tabernacle, which we know was the meeting place, earth, the, the earthly place where God's presence, where God's spirit dwelled on top, right on, on the ark. So again, let's go back to chapter 37, where it says, Bethel also made the ark from acacia wood two and a half cubits long, a cubit and a half wide, a cubit and a half high. He overlaid it with pure gold inside and out and made a crown of gold for it all around. He cast four golden rings for it in the four feet, two rings on the one side and two on the other. He also made poles of acacia wood and overlaid them with gold. Then he put the poles in the rings off the, on the sides of the ark to carry the ark. Verse 6. He made an atonement cover of pure gold, two and a half cubits long, a cubit and a half wide. Then he forged two cherubims of gold from hammered work and the two ends of the atonement at the two ends of the atonement cover. One cherub at the one end and the other cherub at the other. He made the atonement cover from a single piece with the cherubims on the two ends. So the cherubims spread out their wings on high, overshadowing the atonement cover with their wings, with their faces to one another, and the faces of the cherubims towards the atonement cover. Now again, we see gold being the primary material used in these items. As you guys have noticed, gold has been mentioned over and over and over. As a matter of fact, gold was the material used to build the golden calf uh, as you guys remember a couple of chapters ago um but we said uh when we study over chapter 36 that <clears throat> what men use for bad god turned it around for good right um so he here we see how god uses this same material that was used for idol worship to build his wilderness tabernacle to build the place where his presence would dwell here on earth. So again, we see God turning things because he is above all things. So it doesn't matter what man tries to do. It doesn't matter what the enemy tries to do. God will always reign supreme because he is the one that rules over all things. And so we see God turn it around and from something that was bad, he makes something so amazing. And it's this ark that's being built here. 
Now gold, we spoke that it represents wealth, of course, but it also represents a couple of different things that when I sat down to study, I was like a little bit taken back. I didn't know this. And it's, it also represents knowledge and wisdom. So gold not only represents wealth, but also represents knowledge and wisdom, which are far more valuable than wealth itself, right? If we, if we look at gold and we see that it is a representation, and I want you to see where I'm going with this, that gold in itself is a representation of knowledge and wisdom. And we don't just look at gold as just a material of wealth. What, what does that take us back? It takes us back to the word of God, how knowing the word of God, right? The, the scripture says that we perish for what? Lack of knowledge. So the more knowledge we know, the more word we know, the better we are off. So we see the material that was used also point to the one of the main principles in the Bible that God speaks of that his people perish for, and that's lack of knowledge. And so again, we see this material that is being overlaid on this ark, made out of, obviously out of acacia wood, and then this gold just being overlaid over this ark, also represent knowledge and wisdom for our lives. That's an amazing, amazing way to, to look at gold. Maybe from now on, next time you look at a, at something gold, whether it be, you know, I, I don't know, something in your life that you have, a ring or whatever it may be, you might say, well, you know, this not just it's not just wealth, it's knowledge and wisdom. What, what does that take me back to? You know, let me refer back to the Word of God. Let me go back to the Word of God because, you know, it might remind you maybe what was the last time I read the Word of God? Maybe what was the last time I sat to pray to God? What was the last time I meditated on the Word of God? Because that is knowledge. So let me go back. It, you know, maybe that will help you refer back to, to the Word of God. Not only that, um, gold also is associated with the divinity of Messiah as a material that is indestructible. Listen to what I'm telling you. Gold is also associated with the divinity of Messiah as a material that is indestructible. Therefore, meaning that God is supreme and indestructible, just like I mentioned a little while ago. That's the reason why would the enemy try to turn for bad with this idol worship with this golden calf, God turned it around for good because he reigns supreme. He is above everything and he is indestructible. This is also the reason, pay close attention, this is also the reason that when the multitude approached Aaron and said, we need you to build us a God, what is the one thing Moses asked for? He could have asked for any other material. Remember, when they left out of Egypt, they left very wealthy. This mixed multitude in the wilderness was very, very wealthy. <clears throat> they had all sorts of gold, silver, um, copper, fine linens. I mean, they had they had it all because the Egyptians, God told them, when you leave from Egypt, you might have gone in with nothing, but you're going to leave with everything. So when they left out of Egypt, God told them, go to the Egyptians and they're going to give you all their belongings and you guys are going to be able to leave out of Egypt a very wealthy nation. Why? Because God knew that they would need this going forward. See, I've mentioned this before and I've said it. God today, our today is God's yesterday. So God sees further ahead than what we see. And so whatever God is blessing us is, or whatever blessing is coming into our lives is something that we're going to need for tomorrow. It's something that we need for a near future or maybe even our far future. Who knows? But God, God sees so much ahead <clears throat> that those things that he blesses us with are for what's coming. 
you know, and, and sometimes we don't see this and sometimes we don't appreciate things because you said, oh, maybe I've gone through this as well. What do I need this for? No, God knows that you're about to embark into maybe a new season in your life or a new journey in your life. And you're going to need what God is blessing you with at that moment. And so the same thing happened with this wilderness multitude. God blessed him tremendously coming out of Egypt because he knew they would need this once they would step out into the wilderness and end their journey out to the promised land. So again, we see that when the multitude approached Aaron, the one thing that Aaron asked for was what? Earrings, golden earrings. I'm sure that Moses to one point being as close as he was, obviously the brother of, uh, I mean, uh, Aaron, sorry, being the brother of Moses, um, he knew that what gold represented. He knew not only that it was wealth, but it was knowledge. And so he said, you know what? Bring me all the golden earrings and I will build you a God, <clears throat> right? So again, that's what the, the wilderness um, multitude brought. They brought him all these gold earrings. He built a golden calf and we know the story from there. But we, we see again, the, the restoration. Uh, um, I said it you know a couple of weeks ago that God is in the business of restoration. So we see the restoration of God with his people, bringing them together. We see what gold right off the bat represents and it was being used the same material uh, in these components within the tabernacle. Now, again, I said that the wilderness multitude was very wealthy. And I think sometimes we mishandle um, what God blesses us with. I think sometimes we don't value enough what God blesses us with. Blesses us with. And, and right now I'm speaking about material things. Right, because the Bible calls us to be a good steward. But what exactly is to be a good steward? Well, that's a very good question. Let's go to First Timothy chapter six, verse seventeen through twenty-one. First Timothy chapter six, verse seventeen through twenty-one, and we're gonna see what the Bible says about being a good steward. Um, because again, we can find all the answers to our questions in the book. Right. So first Timothy chapter six, verse 17 through 21. And look what scripture says. It says, direct those who are rich in this present age, not to be proud or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, meaning that whatever God has blessed you with is good, but do not put your hope on the material things. Your hope needs to be on God because he's the one that blesses you with the material things. And do not be arrogant. Do not be prideful, right? Don't let those things get to your head, in other words. And it continues to say, but rather on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. There it is. Concentrate on the giver, not on the gift, right? God is the one that gives, but sometimes I think we idolize the gift more than we should be worshiping the giver. Listen to what I just said. Sometimes we idolize the gift more instead of worshiping the one that gives the gift, the giver. And it continues to say, verse 18, direct them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous, sharing, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the future so they might take hold 
of the true life. O Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to you, turning away from pointless chatter and the contradictions of so-called knowledge by prof professing by professing some have missed the mark concerning the faith by professing it some have missed the mark of faith professing what the contradictions of the so-called knowledge in other words the contradiction of scripture the contradiction of the truth in the word of god those are the ones leading astray the body of christ the body of messiah and lying to them in other words or or taking scripture out of context just to suit their personal needs they're straying away the sheep and the sheep, because they don't take the time to study, they don't take the time to read, they don't take the time to meditate in the Word of God, they're just going by what men says, are being straight away. So therefore, the contradictions of the so-called knowledge, people are missing the mark of that concerning that, that concerns the true faith. That is so powerful. And so I pray this morning that that is not you watching this, that if... If you're watching this this morning, listen, don't even just take my word from what I'm telling you. Go to scripture. Everything that I'm going to teach you, every scripture that I'm going to teach you, go back and read it yourself. Study it yourself. Prove what I'm teaching this morning. Right? Prove what I'm teaching this morning. Be a student of the word. Don't just take my word for it. The Bible says that man will always fail you. And so I encourage you. I want to encourage you this morning to, to take this teaching once we're done. Maybe in your own time later on today in Shabbat or maybe throughout the week. Um, go back into scripture and study what I'm teaching this morning and see if what I'm telling you is not true. And if you have a question, be more than glad to reach out to us through, through our website. So again, we see Paul here in the book of Timothy. Tell Timothy, don't be fooled. Do not put your hope in the riches. God is the one that you should be putting your hope in. And so what is a good steward? A good steward is not just about um, not just about having control of, of, of your finances, not having control of, of the material things, but also teaching knowledge and teaching the truth to put their hope in, again, the giver and not the gift. That's what a good steward is. And that's you and that's me. That's our job to, to be able to be a good steward to others and, and, and bring them into the truth and lead them into the truth within the word of God. Amen. Now let's go back to Exodus 37. It says that another material that was used to build the ark was what? Acacia wood. So again, we see gold as, as um, knowledge and wisdom, but also associated with the divinity of Messiah. Please don't miss that. Now again, another material that was used for this ark was acacia wood. And acacia wood is a representation of humanity. So we see the materials in this ark as the wood representing humanity and the gold representing the divinity of Messiah. So it is also very important that we understand why these specific materials were used to build the first component, which was the ark of the covenant, of course, but also what is inside the ark. And that is key 
in this in this first component. So again, the first component is the Ark of the Covenant. It's made out of acacia wood. It's overlaid with gold. So we see the acacia wood, a representation of humanity. We see the overlay of gold, knowledge, wisdom, and it associated with the divinity of Messiah. But what's inside this Ark? There are three items that were inside the Ark of the Covenant. The first item was the two stones, of the, the two uh, tablets, which represent the law of God. The second item that was there was the jar of manna, the, of manna, which represents the grace of God. And the third item that was there was Aaron's budded staff, which is a symbol of judgment. Follow me, please. If you're taking notes, I encourage you to write all this. So again, the Ark of the Covenant was the first component, was made out of acacia wood representing humanity was overlaid with gold, representing knowledge, wisdom, and the divinity of Messiah. But inside the Ark of the Covenant were three items. The two stones tablets, which represented the law of God. The jar of manna, which represents the grace of God, obviously provision, right? And the third one was Aaron's budded staff, which was a symbol of judgment. Now let's tie all those three in, right? So we see that the Messiah, just the same way, he was since the beginning of time when he comes he would judge Aaron's staff the people with the law of God and with grace that's amazing so we see the three items that were inside the Ark of the Covenant right and the Ark of the Covenant made out of acacia wood representing humanity and the overlay of gold representing knowledge wisdom and the divinity of Messiah and the three items inside the Ark showing us how when our Messiah returns in his second coming, he would judge with the law of God, being the foundation, being since the, since the beginning of time, but not only judging with the law of God, but also with grace. How amazing is that? I mean, that, that's, that's mind-blowing how everything is tied in and how everything points back to him. Out of one simple component that was being built inside this tabernacle, we see how everything points back to Messiah and how everything points back to him and how he will come and we will be judged. Amen. Let's go back into scripture. Let's continue with verse um, 10 and we're going to read from verse 10 to verse 16. And this will be the second component being described. And that is the table of showbread. Amen. Then he made the table of acacia wood, two cubits long, a cubit wide, and a cubit and a half high. He overlaid it with pure gold and made a golden crown all around. Also, he made a border for it, a hand width around, and made a golden crown for the border all around. He cast four golden rings for it and put the rings into the four corners that were on the four feet. Verse 14, then rings were closed, the rings were closed to the borders as holders for the poles to carry the table. He also made a pole, made the poles of acacia wood and overlaid them with gold to carry the table. He forged the articles that were on the table, the dishes, pans, bowls, and jars with which to pour out of pure gold. Again, we see the same materials being used 
in this table of showbread. Now, the table of showbread, uh, this table actually held 12 loaves of bread, and which we know to represent the 12 tribes of Israel. Again, reminding us that we, as spiritual Israel, understanding that we have been grafted in, so therefore we are might not be natural-born Israelites, but we are spiritual Israel, right? Will be integrated to one of these tribes. So this table of showbread kind of shows us with these 12 loaves that it will hold, how one day we will be integrated to one of these 12 tribes. Now, this rep this presentation of the bread in the Tanakh in the Old Testament symbolizes God's eternal covenant and relationship with his people and his constant care and provision. Remember, bread is it's, it's a symbol of, of food, right? And so, we see here this table of showbread and the, and the loaves of bread that will be placed on this table of showbread as a representation of God's covenant of his provision, right? That he made, that promise that he made to, to, to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob, that he would obviously take care of the future generations to come, that he will provide for them. And so, and so therefore, you know, we've mentioned before that the one thing that God needs to be obedient to is his word, is his promise, right? And so we see here through this table of showbread, through these 12 loaves, representation of the 12 tribes of Israel, a, a, a promise uh, of a covenant um, between God and humanity of constant care and provision. Now, in the New Testament, John reiterates this, therefore showing us that God promises are what? Perpetual, right? This promise was made in the Old Testament, way back in the book of Genesis to Abraham. And then we see in the New Testament, in the book of John, how John reiterates this. And so therefore we see that the promises of God weren't just for a period of time. The promises of God weren't just for a uh, 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 such people as the wilderness multitude. They were not just for, for the Jews back in the time, not just for those Egyptians that had chosen to come out of Egypt and believe the true God of Israel. These promises that God spoke about in the Old Testament, in the beginning of time to Abraham were perpetual, will we'll carry on through life. And we see how John reiterates this in his book. Not only that, but it also reminds us that Messiah himself is the bread of life. Amen? So, not only that these promises are perpetual, but also pointing as the bread pointing to Messiah as him being the bread of life. So, go with me to book of John, chapter 6, verse 35, and see what I'm talking about. John, chapter 6, verse 35, tells us exactly what I just mentioned, but I want to prove it to you in Scripture. As, we, as you guys know, we prove everything here in Scripture. So go with me, John chapter 6, verse 35. It says, Yeshua said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. So we see a promise that was given way back in the beginning of the Bible. John reiterates this later on in the New Testament and says that, yes, Yeshua is the bread of life. Whoever believes in him will not be hungry and will not thirst. Why? Because he fills us. He, he, he fills us with this, this spiritual uh, infilling or, or a filling of, of, of word that it's much better than actual bread, than physical food. Spiritual food is much better than physical food.
physical food, you come, you eat, and eventually you're going to grow hungry again, right? Well, spiritual food, when you continue to take it in, it just fills you and it fills you and it fills you. And again, pointing back to what we just read and, and, and what we describe in the Ark of the Covenant, how it is knowledge, it is wisdom. And so therefore, we don't perish if we continue to fill ourselves with this spiritual food. But if we continue to fill ourselves with this manna, with this, this word that God has left behind for us. Amen. Now, the phrase, I am the bread of life, is one of several I am's. And, you know, we studied, we studied this before in another study, so I'm not going to go too, too much into it. But I do want to point this out, that the I am bread of life, this uh, is one of, one of several I am statements that Yeshua makes throughout Scripture. So what does this mean for us exactly? What does this mean of... Yeshua being the bread of life, of him saying, I am the bread of life, and if you believe in me, you will not grow hungry. Well, that means that he can become whatever we need him to be in our lives. Not what we want, but whatever we need. See, God knows what we need, so therefore he gives us what we need, not what we want. God provides what we need, he doesn't give us what we want. That's very powerful there. God provides what we need. He doesn't give us what we want. Because if we can be honest, a lot of the times the things that we want are not aligned with the things that we need. And so if God were to provide our wants, they will be contrary to what our lives actually need. And so therefore, it will be more of an obstacle than an actual blessing for our lives. And so God is so perfect in his ways that he says, you know what? I'm not going to give you what you want. I'm going to provide what you actually need to be able to move forward in life. And so, again, he can become whatever we need him to be in our lives. And it's also a confirmation. Listen to this. It's also a confirmation of his great power. I said this before. Supremacy and affirmation of his faithfulness to his word for us. In other words... He stays true to his word. He stays true to his promise because, again, his promise are not just for a certain period of time. They're perpetual. And so he stays true to his word, true to his promise. And those promises are for you and for me. And those promises, a lot of the times, align with our needs, not our wants. That is the reason why God can become whatever we need him to be, not what we want him to be. Amen. Now, every time we read the scripture here in the book of John, it reminds us that Yeshua alone is the true source of spiritual life. He says, believe in me. You know, it's telling you, believe in something that you have not seen. This is by faith, of course. Believe in me, says him, says Yeshua. And you will not be hungry. You will not be thirsty. So again, he is the true source of spiritual life, both in the present world and in the everlasting one to come. Amen. He is the present source of that spiritual uh, life that we need to, to, to have daily, not only now, but even going forward. Now, the bread of life that Yeshua represents never perishes, never spoils, and never runs out. And that is amazing to know that he never fades away. He always stay, stays true and he's everlasting. 
He never perishes, he never spoils, and he never runs out. In other words, he never fades away. He's always true, he's always faithful, and he's everlasting. Amen? That's powerful. So again, that's the second component. We see the Ark of the Covenant, how it points back to Yeshua. We see the table of showbread, how it points back to Yeshua. We're going to see all four components pointing back to him. So now let's go into the third component, which we're going to read from verse 17 all the way down to verse 24. So let's go back to the book of Exodus, chapter 37, verse 17 to verse 24. I really hope that this is blessing you guys. Um, it's such an amazing chapter. There's so much revelation in these components. And we see how they all point back to Messiah, how they all point back to our Savior. And they're not just components that God told Moses to build inside the tabernacle. God told Moses to build these components because he knew that these components would point them back to him. That if they ever were confused or they ever had some sort of doubt, whenever that priest would go into this tabernacle, it would remind him, wow, you know, these components point us back to our Savior, point us back to our God. And so therefore he will come out and him being obviously the only one that was able to go into, into the, um, the tabernacle, he would come out and then talk to the rest of the multitude and tell them, this is what happened. God has forgiven your sins. We have made atonement. But here, let me remind you that everything that is in there should point us back to him. We should never forget that. Even in our everyday life where we get so caught up in everyday things and stuff like that, we should never forget that we should always be pointing our lives back to him. We should always be looking to him and him alone. Amen. So again, let's go back to chapter 37 and read from 17 to 24. It says, then he made the menorah of pure gold, of hammered work, even its base, its stems, its cups, its bulbs, and its flowers were one piece with it. There were six branches going out of the sides, three branches out of one side, and three branches out of the other. Three cups made like almond blossoms were in one branch, a bulb within a flower, and three cups made like almond blossoms in the next branch, another bulb within a flower. It was just so for, it was just so for the six branches going out of the menorah. Also within the menorah were four cups made like almond blossoms, bulbs, and flowers. Verse 21, with a bulb under two branches of one piece, a second bulb under two branches of another piece, and a bulb under two branches of a third piece, for six branches extending out of it. Their bulbs and their branches were one piece with it, an entire hammered work of pure gold. Verse 23, he also made the seven lamps along with tongs and censers of pure gold. He made them from a tannin of pure gold along with all the pieces. So again, we see here that this was a hammered work as obviously as we've studied before. So it took a, a, a specific insight to be able to build this out of one talent, one piece of gold and being hammered and beating this piece of gold until it took shape. And that's what I mentioned earlier at the beginning, that God had given Bezalel the insight, the ability, the gift to be able to build these items, these, these components 
but also not only to build them, to teach others to build these components. So again, the third component here that we read of is the menorah. We have to remember that the menorah is a seven-branch menorah, not like the Jewish community uses today for Hanukkah, which is a nine-branch menorah. And I'm not going to go too much into detail of that because we studied this many uh, many weeks ago already. So I don't want to spend too much time there. But the menorah that was in the wilderness tabernacle, that would be in the tabernacle, was actually a seven-branch menorah. Again, not like the one that is used for Hanukkah, which is a nine-branch menorah. Okay? Please don't confuse the two. They have two completely different meanings, actually. So we see how this temple menorah had seven branches, and seven is the perfect number, which points back to our Messiah again. So we see how this menorah points back to the Messiah, because he is and was the perfect Lamb of God. So there's, there's no coincidence. Listen, there's, there's no coincidence in the Word of God. When God says something and, and describes something, He does it to perfection because there's a meaning behind it, right? There's, it's, it's pointing, it's always going to be pointing back to Him. It's always going to be pointing back to Messiah. And so these are the things that we need to, as students of the Word, we need to go and study so God can then give us the revelation, the knowledge, right? Um, of when we sit down to study his word, he reveals things. But if we just read them, oh, it's a seven branch menorah and no big deal. Well, we're going to miss why it's a seven. Why is a seven branch menorah and why seven branches? What does seven mean? Right. But when we take the time to study the word of God, God reveals these things to us. So again, we see seven branch menorah, seven being the perfect number pointing always to Messiah, the perfect lamb of God. Now, in the menorah, there is the middle candle, which is known as the servant candle, right? And we know that Yeshua came to serve and not to be served. Amen. He says that he came into this world to serve and not to be served. So we see this middle uh, branch, this, this middle candle in the, seven, um, uh, in the seven branches of the menorah, the middle one being the servant. The middle one is the one that you take up and you begin to light the rest of the branches so it's called the servant candle again a beautiful illustration a beautiful representation of our messiah how he came to serve and not to be served amen also in scripture there are seven biblical feasts that the lord left behind for us to celebrate and these feasts are god's feasts they're not jewish feasts they're not any specific religion they are God's feasts, and we know this because we study this when we study the book of Genesis. Way back in the beginning, it clearly says that these feasts are God's feasts. They're not feasts for the Jews. They're not feasts for, again, for a specific religion. They are God's feasts, and it says it word by word. I don't have the, the, the scripture off the top of my head, but it is in the book of Genesis, and it's actually right at the beginning when God is describing these feasts. And so what are those feasts? Please don't miss this. What are those feasts? The first one being Passover, of course. The second feast, unleavened bread. The third feast, first fruits. The fourth is Shavuot, also known as Pentecost. The fifth is Yom Teruah, which is the Feast of Trumpets. The sixth is Yom Kippur, which is the Day of Atonement. And the last one is Sukkot, which is 
the Feast of Booths or Tents, or also known as the Feast of Ingathering. So these are the seven feasts left behind by God to us for us to celebrate. These are God's feasts, not to be confused with what the world chooses to celebrate, not to be confused with what modern day religion chooses to celebrate, right? These are the feasts that God left behind in scripture for us to celebrate. He was very precise, very clear. These are my feasts and these are the ones that I want you to celebrate. Do not mix them with the world. Do not mix them with any other celebration that's an, actually an abomination to God when we do those things. So therefore, we need to be aware, again, we need to have knowledge of what God has called us to celebrate and which are God's feasts and which are not God's feasts. Now, again, remember, I said that all these components point back to Messiah. So we saw the way the Ark of the Covenant pointed back to Messiah. We saw how the table of showbread pointed back to Messiah. And now we're going to be seeing how the menorah is pointing back to Messiah. Therefore, showing us that the menorah not only points to him, but in a sense, it is him. Why? Because the menorah was, in a sense, a candlestick that was supposed to be lit there for what? To display light, right? And so we see how, obviously, the, the center candle, as being as a servant candle, points to, to Messiah. But also, this menorah would eventually be lit inside the temple. It was the, the, the job of the priest to come into the temple and light the menorah as he would go throughout the different components. Each component required different things. Well, the menorah, when he got there, there was oil that was supposed to be put into the cups on top and then afterwards be lit. And it was the job of the priest to make sure that the menorah remained lit. And I remember, and I remember if you guys... Think about weeks back when I when I said that it's our job to make sure we stay lit. And I'm not talking about in a bad way. I'm talking about stay lit in a way where we are on fire for the Lord. And so how do we do that? When we dig every single day into the word of God, therefore not perishing for lack of knowledge. You see how everything is tied in? And, and so again, we see this menorah pointing back to Messiah and in a sense actually being him because he is the light of the world. And who says this? Again, John reiterates this and he talks about it in his, in his book. So go with me back again to John. Go with me to John chapter 8 verse 12. John chapter 8 verse 12. John 8 12 says, Yeshua spoke to them saying, so this is Yeshua himself saying these words. In other words, Yeshua spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. The one who follows me will no longer walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Exactly what I just finished mentioning. So therefore, when you believe in him, you will not grow hungry because he will fill you. But also when you not only believe, but then you follow him. It takes an action in our behalf. It's not just saying, I believe in you, Joshua. Yes, you are my savior, you are my Lord. Okay, that's just the beginning. Then you need to follow. Follow what? His ways, his commandments, his, his instructions. So when you follow him, he says that him being the light of the world, that now you that were once in darkness have come out and now you also are to be light. 
You also are to share that light. And so how do we do that? Again, we follow Messiah, we dig into his word, we fill ourselves, and therefore we, wherever we go, are supposed to be the light. That is when you get to somebody's house or in a place and somebody says, man, there's something different about you. Well, that difference in you is that light that is within you because you're filling yourself with the word. But if you're not filling yourself with the word, then you continue to be in darkness because you all you see is, oh, I believe in you, Yeshua. I believe in you. You are the Messiah. Yes, but I haven't acted upon that. So you're still in darkness in a sense. He says, follow me. And those that follow me will no longer walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So again, we see John reiterating what this beautiful component that would be inside the tabernacle represent. Again, it will represent, it will point back to Messiah, showing him as the servant, as the servant candle, showing him as the light of the world. And we see John in the book and his book reiterate this. And says, yes, Yeshua is the light of the world. And those that choose to follow him no longer walk in darkness, but walk in that light. Now, what are three steps that we can take to be more like Yeshua every day and also be the light in the world that he calls us to be? The first one is to recognize. Recognize what? Recognize the open doors and opportunity that God gives us to be a light in the world and in the life of a person. We need to recognize those opportunities. God doesn't just open doors and give us opportunities just because he wants to. When he gives them, it's for a reason. And he's giving to you, he's giving it to me for us, again, as believers in Messiah and are now that are walking in his ways and are that are following him for us also to be a light in the world and so therefore once we recognize an open door once we recognize an opportunity that god gives we need to take advantage of it and we need to display that light to someone else that is within us again that is enlightening them about the truth sharing the gospel with them sharing who messiah truly is and what he came to do you know no matter what it is our job to be that light. So again, we recognize those opportunities. We recognize those open doors. The second step that we do is act. If you notice here in the book of John, we've read twice that first, when we believe, we don't grow hungry. And then again, we go back to the book of John and we see that not only when we believe, we don't grow hungry, but when we follow him, we no longer walk in darkness. So again, the second step here is act. Why? Because it takes action. First is recognizing the opportunity. First is recognizing the open door that God is giving us. And then second is an action. It takes an action in our behalf to share that gospel. It takes an action in our behalf to share the good news with someone. Right? And so act in those moments because they might not always be there. God opens doors and gives opportunities for certain times in certain seasons in our lives. And if we don't take advantage of those times, it might come and go. Because just as God is constantly moving, we are constantly moving. And so when God gives us an opportunity, if we don't run through it, remember, what have we been running, we've been reading up to now? Every time God gave an opportunity to Moses, what did Moses do? He ran with it. Didn't question, didn't ask, am I okay to do this? Am I equipped to do this? No. God, you open the door, you're giving me an opportunity, so I'm running through it. 
So again, we need to recognize those open doors. We need to recognize those opportunities and act upon them. Run to them. Run to them. And, and, and God will reveal to us what we need to do with those open doors and with those opportunities that he's giving us. So again, the first step is to recognize. The second step is to act. And the third step is to point everything back to Joshua. Point everything back to Joshua. And I cannot emphasize on that enough. That is the most important one. Recognize, act, but please always, always, always point everything back to Joshua. Never take the credit for it. Never allow pride to creep in, uh, to, to creep in and say, you know what, yeah, I did it. Okay, I, I'm, 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 I take all the credit for it because I'm the one that led him to, to Messiah. I'm the one that, that, uh, that opened his eyes. No, you didn't do anything. You were just a vessel and you were just in the hand of God and God used you to be able to enlighten that person and, and bring that person out of darkness and into the light. So the most important one out of all these three is to never, ever, ever take credit for anything you do. Always point back to Messiah. And you're going to see that whenever you do that, God will continue to open more doors and more doors and more opportunities. And it's just such an amazing thing that when, when God does that and you see it consistently in your life, that every time you have an opportunity to speak about him, you do. And people are just, wow, you know, this guy is he's one way you know that there's there's no altering in his life and that's the way we should be because i've said it before sometimes we come in into church and we say oh you know i'm you know we come in our best outfits and we want to be all holy but whenever we go outside the doors we're a complete different person and the same way we're inside of the church walls inside of the place where we gather we need to be the same outside right therefore we need to be transparent people of integrity that our words hold weight that our words have value. And so the things that we say obviously need to be backed up by the word of God, of course, but they have value. That we don't just say one thing one day and the next day we're saying something different. So very important. The third and most important one is to point everything back to Yeshua. Now, earlier I mentioned how all these feasts point back to Yeshua. So let's take a look at that now, right? Remember, we, we, we said that the menorah has seven branches and each branch represented one of the seven different feasts that God had left behind for us to celebrate. So let's go into each of these feasts, what they represent, and then we're going to tie them all these together. Please don't miss this. So the first feast was Passover, right? Joshua came and said he was the Passover lamb that will be sacrificed and take away the sins of the world. Yeshua died on Passover day. So what did he do? In a sense, Passover represents freedom because he took us out of bondage and gave us freedom, a new life. So Passover represents freedom. The second feast was unleavened bread. This is bread that didn't have yeast. In other words, no sin, no leaven, and didn't rise. This was also when people prayed for God's provision to come forth out of the ground for what was coming and first fruits. So not only did the, breast, the, the bread didn't rise up from unleavened bread, but it was also a, a simultaneously a prayer that they prayed 
for what was to come out of the ground. So unleavened bread represents answers to prayer. Okay, so we see Passover represents freedom as unleavened bread represents answers to prayer. The third feast is first fruits. Yeshua is called the first fruit and was raised from the dead on first fruits out of the ground. So first, fruit, first fruits represents resurrection. Please follow me. The fourth feast is Shavuot, also known as Pentecost. 50 days later, when Moses came down from the mountain and gave the 10 words, also known as the 10 commandments, to the multitude. So we see that Shavuot represents the giving of the word. The fifth feast is Yom Teruah, which is the Feast of Trumpets. It is a time of celebration and blowing of the shofar. Yeshua himself said that he will return as king at the sound of the trumpet. So we see that Yom Teruah points to our returning king. The sixth feast is Yom Kippur, or the Day of Atonement. The day the priest went into the holiest place and placed his hands, remember we, we study this, placed his hands on the scapegoat to take the consequences of the wrongdoing for us. Then they would release this goat out into the wilderness as, a, as, a, um, as an illustration of they were releasing their sins, right? They were releasing their sins through this goat out into the wilderness. So again, the priest came into the holiest place to place his hands on this scapegoat for the consequences of the sins of the people for them, for all their wrongdoings. Joshua is our scapegoat and our priest, blameless, yet put all the consequences and sins on himself for us. So Yom Kippur points to our high priest and scapegoat. Please follow me. And number seven is Sukkot, the Feast of Tabernacles or in-gathering or booths or tents. Yeshua said that he came to tabernacle with us, to tabernacle within us, to be with us. When the angel spoke to Yeshua, when the angel spoke of Yeshua's name, he called them Emmanuel. Emmanuel means God with us. So Sukkot means God with us with us. So again, these are the seven feasts and these are the seven different representations of each feast. So now let's put all these feasts together and let's put their meanings together. Going back to Passover being the first one which represented freedom. So we can say that Messiah gives us freedom, answers our prayers, gives us resurrection power and with one word from our returning king and our high priest, he brings us back together to be with him. I hope you guys didn't miss that. I'm going to go over it again. Remember, Passover represents freedom. Unleavened bread answer prayers. First fruits, resurrection. Shavuot means word. Yom Teruah means returning king. Yom Kippur, priest, high priest, and a scapegoat, and Sukkot, God with us. 
So again, we can say that Messiah gives us freedom, answers to our prayers, gives us resurrection power. And with one word from our returning king and our high priest, we will one day be with him for all eternity. He is with us now and we will be with him through all eternity. Come on, somebody. That is powerful. That is an affirmation of what you're believing in now and, and, and the faith that you have in Messiah now, that not only is it for now, but like I said earlier, the promises of God are perpetual and he promises to be with you everlasting because he is everlasting. And so therefore, not only are you with him now, but you are with him. You will be with him for all eternity. You will be with him for all eternity. Praise God. Praise God. And I'll begin to close with this last component. Last but not least is the altar of incense. And we're going to read from verse 25 to verse 29. You know, it's amazing. Like I said earlier, this is probably one of the shortest chapters within the last chapters as God reiterating of the, uh, the tabernacle. But yet it's one of the chapters that I have written the most notes on. Um, because when you take time to study the word of God, God just continues to reveal and reveal and reveal. I was literally studying up to this morning um, uh, on, on, on his word because it was, I, I just, the spirit kept asking for it. The spirit kept asking for it and God kept giving. And as long as you're asking, God is going to continue to pour out. You know, it's, it's what hunger do you have for his word, right? And he says it, when you hunger and he continues to give you won't have a physical hunger but the spiritual hunger will be there because you should continue to want to go from 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 different spiritual levels with God and different levels of revelation with God but he he will continue to fill you up and fill you up and fill you up with his word so it's it's up to again it's up to us how much we want from him so go with me to verse 25 and we're going to read from there to the end to verse 29 it says, he made the altar of incense from acacia wood. Again, we see the same materials being used. A cubit long, a cubit wide, squared, and two cubits high. The horns were one piece with it. Then he overlaid it again with pure gold on top and on the sides, all around and over its horns. Also, he made a crown of gold for it all around. He made two golden rings for it underneath the crown and two sides as holders for poles in order to carry it. He made the poles of acacia wood and overlaid them with good, with gold, sorry. And last verse, he says, then he made the holy anointing oil and the pure incense of sweet spices, the blend of a perfumer. So again, this is the last component of the four components that are described in chapter 37. We've seen the Ark of the Covenant, how it points to Messiah. We've seen the table of showbread, how it points to Messiah. We've seen the menorah, how it points to Messiah. And so here we are in the last component, which is the altar of incense. And we're going to see also how this altar of incense points to Messiah. This, unlike the altar of sacrifice that was outside the tabernacle, right? Unlike the altar of sacrifice was again made out of gold and meant just for incense to be a pleasing aroma to God. This was not an altar of sacrifice like the other one that is spoken about in scripture. That one was outside the tabernacle and that one was for sacrifice, 
or for atonement for the sins of men. This altar of incense that was inside the tabernacle, inside the holy place, was a component that was for only for incense and was supposed to be a sweet aroma unto God. Anything done on this altar was strictly for the glory of God. Listen to me. Anything done on this altar, this altar of incense, was strictly for the glory of God and for His worship, unlike the altar of sacrifice that was outside the tabernacle, which was for the justification of men's sins. Please don't get confused with the two, two completely different meanings. The one outside was for the justification of men's sins. The one inside the tabernacle was for a sweet aroma unto God and for a worship unto God. And that's it. There was no sacrifice that was supposed to be done on the altar of incense. We also see that they made anointing oil along with pure incense, as we read in verse 29. Anointing oil was poured on those that God was pleased with to do his work. So we can say that the anointing wood, the Messiah, was someone God was pleased with to do his work here on earth. So we see how this table of incense points again back to Messiah. Again, the anointing oil that was created along with the pure incense, again, was for the glory of God and would only be poured on those that God was pleased with to do his work. So in a sense, we can say that the anointed one, obviously the Messiah, was someone God was pleased with to do his work here on earth. Well, how can we confirm that? Glad you asked the question. We can go back to scripture. Let's go back to the book of Matthew. Now, chapter 3, verse 17. Again, we prove everything with scripture. Matthew, chapter 3, verse 17. It says, And behold, a voice. This is when Yeshua was, was being baptized by John the Baptist, right? And he says, And behold, a voice from the heavens said, This is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased so we see the anointing oil that will be poured on those that god was pleased with to do his work messiah being the anointed one was someone here in scripture as we read that god was pleased with to do his work and my prayer this morning also is that god will be pleased with us to do his work not because we're perfect like messiah by no means at all but we strive every day to be more like Messiah. And so therefore what he did here on earth should be an example for you and for me to imitate and to do and to carry out. Why? Because again, like I mentioned earlier, and like I just said a couple of minutes ago, it brings glory to God and is a sign of worship unto God. Never taking self um justification or never taking um uh, accountability for it i mean sorry not accountability but never taking um what's the word i'm looking for um never taking credit for it right but always pointing back to god and i'll finish with this ultimately the work of Yeshua here on earth were to bring glory to the father just as our work deeds and everything we do are to bring glory to God the Father. So we see how the four components point to Messiah. And ultimately, everything not only pointed to Messiah, but what did Messiah do? He always gave the glory 
to the Father. He said, I don't come to do my work, but I come to do the work of the one who sent me. I pray this message has really spoken to you this morning and see how when we take the time to study, notice the components we're reading, we're reading them in the Old Testament. But everything I proved to you this morning, I proved it in the New Testament. We referenced the book of John, we referenced the book of Matthew. But yet we're speaking about these components in the Old Testament. Again, we see how the two are tied in. We see how the two are one. They're not a divided book by no means. And neither did Messiah come to do away with anything. He came to fulfill and came to carry out and do what was spoken back in the Old Testament. So we see this morning how these components point to Messiah. Let us be true students of the word. Let us take the time to study the word. And when we do that, God says that we will not perish for lack of knowledge. So if you've been sitting with me for the past hour and a half, and you've been saying, Pastor, wow, I get it. I get it. We need to be students. We, we, we can't take things lightly. I want to encourage you this morning. Let this just be the beginning of you moving forward, digging in more and more and more and allowing God to reveal more to you. And like I said earlier at the beginning of this teaching, test this. Everything that I've mentioned this morning, put it to the test. Go back on your own time. Go back to references. Go back to studying. Go back to the scriptures that we read and see if anything's taken out of context. Amen. Again, I pray this has blessed you guys. Um, I pray this this teaching has really spoken to you guys. Thank you for for um, for logging in and 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 listening to this teaching. Um, please, please share this with someone. Um, share this truth with others that may be blinded and they may be confused um, by what we read earlier in the book of John that that contradiction of the of the knowledge that are it's being taught nowadays right it, it the contradiction of the word of god share this teaching um be the light to someone if god gives you the opportunity if god gives you an open door let you be the light just as messiah was the light onto the world amen let's go ahead and close our eyes and let's pray and um so we can so we can go ahead and, and close this morning father we thank you lord Thank you because you are amazing in every way, Father God. You teach us so much. You show us so much when we truly take the time to study your word, Father. Father, it's a privilege to teach your word. It's a privilege to study your word, Father. It is such a joy inside of me, Lord, that I can explain, that I can contain at times when I sit down to study your word, Father. I pray that that same joy is in those that are watching this, Father God, is in those that may be listening to this, maybe later on, Father God, to truly dig into scripture, Father God, and, and see how you continue to reveal things, Lord. Thank you, thank you so much for teaching us this morning, Father God, because even though you have given me the ability to teach this, Father God, before anything, Father God, I am a student, Lord. I sit down to study your word, and even as, as I'm teaching this word, Father God, I, your word is, ministering to my spirit as well father god so thank you for that lord thank you father because you have 
be with us this morning, Father God. You have blessed us with your presence, Lord, and so we thank you for it, Father God. I pray that everyone that's watching this live and those that may watch this later, Father God, I pray that this teaching will bless them, Father God, that this teaching will speak to them, Father God, will speak to the core of their being, Father God, and will become rema within their spirits, Father God. Thank you, Father God. We praise you and we honor you, Father God. You alone deserve all the glory and all the honor, Lord, and are always worthy to be praised. In Yeshua's name we pray. Amen. 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 God bless you guys. Shabbat Shalom. And we'll see you next week in our Sabbath service. Two announcements that I want to share with you guys before I, I close this is log into our Thursday um, Torah portions that we have, that we go live every Thursday at 8 p.m. Uh, we go live, we teach uh, our Torah portions every week. So in a sense, you get a double portion on a weekly basis. Uh, on a weekly basis, you log in on Saturdays, you can receive from whatever we're teaching on Saturdays, but you can also receive from our Torah portions on Thursdays at 8 p.m. And of course, our services are on Shabbat on Saturday at 11. Uh, we begin worship and at 11.30 we go live. So again, 